Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the 2,000 years since he walked this earth, the popularity of Jesus has not decreased one iota. To the contrary, it has skyrocketed in so many ways. Every single person, believers and unbelievers alike, wants to claim Jesus for their corner. They want to at least be able to see that, yeah, that guy's my homeboy, right? He's with me. I'm with Jesus. We're on the same page. So the question becomes, what Jesus are you talking about? What Jesus are you talking about? My brother-in-law, John Ann's brother, he's a poet. And a number of years ago, he wrote a satirical poem entitled, A Field Guide to American Jesuses. And within it, he had some of these. Cash or credit only Jesus. Extended warranty Jesus. And heavy duty Jesus. There was lemon scent Jesus. Easy bake Jesus. Industrial strength Jesus. No risk, Jesus. And of course, I can't believe it's not Jesus. <laughs> Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The question is still being asked and answered in countless ways. In many ways, it's just like that bad 80s song said. It's your own personal Jesus. Some of you remember that one. Your own personal Jesus. He is whoever you define him to be. So the world often says. I want to ask this question that our Lord poses this morning. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And who, who do you and I, who do we say that Jesus is? I want to take up these twin questions and think about the different answers that are given to see not only what it is and who it is that we say that Jesus is, but also why it matters that we confess him so. So let's think about it. Let's think about some of these different answers that are given to this question of who do people say that the Son of Man is? I want to kind of put it in a couple of broad categories to start with. And the first answer, the first category that I would give for who people say that the Son of Man is, is something like a spiritual guru, okay? This is Jesus as spiritual guru. He is both a moral teacher and an enlightened guide. He's kind of a cross between Gandhi and Oprah, okay? <laughs> And we want to affirm some of this, hold fast to what is good, you know, depart from what is evil. There's some truth to this. Jesus is most certainly more than a moral teacher. We're going to talk about that. But he's not less. He's not less than that. He is undoubtedly a great moral teacher. The Sermon on the Mount has stood the test of time precisely because it is so brilliant in its articulation and simplicity of the utter truth of what it means to be a human being. The heart of what it means for us to live in relationship and fellowship with God. People were amazed and stunned not only by the miracles of our Lord Jesus, but also by his teachings, by the words that he spoke, by, by the golden rule, which even people who would never claim to follow Christ will still talk about the golden rule and the importance of following it, that that in many ways epitomized the essence of morality. Jesus is more than a moral teacher, but he's not less than that. And yet, if that's all that we say, that he is the spiritual guide, this moral teacher, this enlightened guru, of course, we miss a whole lot. And it's interesting. For folks who have seen this clearly, they have recognized that, no, actually, if you say that Jesus is a great moral teacher, you're wrong. 
This comes out of the mouth of folks who didn't believe in Jesus. For instance, the, the 20th century novelist, many people know Ayn Rand, okay, the author of The Fountainhead. She was not a believer whatsoever, and in fact, she said that the teachings of Jesus are barbaric. She said they were barbaric. How could anybody believe this stuff? Friedrich Nietzsche, my favorite atheist philosopher to quote from, the man with the big mustache. He said, no, the, Jesus was not a great moral teacher. The teachings of Jesus, they are weak. They are despicable. They are disgusting. See, both Ayn Rand and Friedrich Nietzsche, I think they were being a lot more honest than many people are in our world who want to claim Christ as this spiritual guide because they saw through that and they said, no, 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 no. If you're going to profess the words and teachings of Jesus, you can't just pick and choose. I like the golden rule. I like the Sermon on the Mount, but I don't like all this other stuff he says about being God and forgiving sins and so forth. No, 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 no. You can't pick and choose. You get the whole enchilada when you take Jesus. Either he's barbaric and weak and despicable, or he's the one you profess. And as so often is the case, nobody got this better than C.S. Lewis in just a, a classic passage from his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Yeah, Jesus is a great moral teacher. That's who the Son of Man is. But he is much, much more than that. Amen? Okay, so there's that first class, that first grouping of answers that are given to this question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? A spiritual guide. And there's some truth to that, but it is utterly insufficient. Well, another category, another grouping of answers and responses to this question, who people say the Son of Man is. I would summarize or encapsulate as a political hero. A political hero. The first answer, I would say, has more to do with what he said. The second one, more to do with what he did. And this idea of Jesus being a political hero, interestingly, it has variations and variants from folks both on the right and the left. There's both the conservative version, which often goes by the name more of a Christian nationalism, focuses on how Jesus makes the nation great, or there's also the progressive version, which focuses more on a, a liberation theology. Jesus' care for the poor and the, the marginalized. These are really two sides of the same coin. In both res respects, viewing him as a political hero. And once again, we can affirm part of this, right? There is no question that when Jesus comes, he brooks no rivals when it comes to the reign and rule of God. It's often said that because the proclamation about Jesus is that he is Lord, in that day and age, to say that Jesus was Lord was implicitly saying, Caesar is not. 
the, the ruler of the empire, the one who claimed and arrogated to himself that perspective that he himself was divine. For Jesus to say that render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to, fit, and to God the things that are God's, that was a revolutionary claim. He was proclaiming and announcing that no earthly king, no earthly empire, no earthly lord can ever claim your ultimate allegiance. Make no mistake, Jesus stuck it to the man. <laughs> but once again, he's not strictly a political hero. And in fact, he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom so often as people want to try it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is not of this world. He makes that very clear. And there's one little anecdote, one little glimpse from his ministry that always kind of cracks me up that illustrates this. It's not in our lectionary. It's easy to gloss over it. It comes in this moment where one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, um, Jesus, should we pay the tax? You know, should we pay the tax? And Jesus asks him, you know, are the sons free? He says, yes. Sons of the king are free. That's who we are, Jesus says. We are sons of the king most high. You and I are free. But, he says, so as not to give an offense, <laughs> go ahead and pay the tax. And then he says to Peter, go out and catch a fish and look in that fish's mouth and there will be some coins for the tax. It's almost kind of silly. Jesus is showing his blissful indifference to the kingdoms of this age because any time that we try to take Christ and co-opt Christ into the kingdoms of this world, we cheapen his kingdom. He has not come in order to give you and me merely a political freedom, but a spiritual freedom. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He has come not just to make this or that nation great again, but he has come to make creation great again, to restore all things and to reclaim it under the lordship of God most high. That's who he is. Don't make Jesus merely a political hero. He is the redeemer of all things. And that gets us then to who we say that Jesus is. And it comes out of the mouth of none other than the guy who used to be known as Simon. And he's going to get a name change or a name addition in this gospel. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But Jesus asks, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And Simon pipes up, speaks on behalf of all the disciples, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we know Simon. We follow him throughout the Gospels. And as we've said in recent weeks, he's what literary theorists would call an unreliable narrator. <laughs> When we hear something out of Simon's mouth, our first reaction tends to be like, but is that really true? You know, like if Simon stood up and said, ice cream is delicious, we'd all be like, is it though? Hmm. Let me think about that. So when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, we have that moment and you can imagine the disciples all holding their breath for a second like, pretty sure that's right? But Simon said it. But then Jesus alleviates the tension. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, because, guess what? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. There's no pats on the back here, Simon. But God, the heavens have revealed this to you. You are right. Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God. And what does that mean? 
First of all, for him to be the Christ means that he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one whom the people of Israel had placed all of their hopes in, the one that they had looked and longed for, the one in whom all those promises from the Old Testament find their yes in him. He's Israel's savior. He is that Christ, that one they had waited for, the seed of Abraham. But he's not only the Christ, he's also the son of the living God. That first answer, Christ, speaks specifically to Jesus' relationship to the people of Israel. But the fact that he is the son of the living God says that he is the savior of all people, that he is the Lord of all creation, the son of the living God. He is the one who was there with the father at creation. He is the word incarnate, the one who spoke creation into being, whose word carries that power. He is the Christ and he is the son of the living God. You got it right, Simon. And the fact that he is such, well, it also points up why it matters what we confess Jesus as. Why it matters that he is who we say he is. And we can get at it by looking again at Simon. Simon, as we know, was an unsteady disciple. Fickle in his faith. Not somebody that you or I would think that we could really rely upon. In particular, as they were following Jesus around. But Jesus looks at him As he makes this confession, a confession that didn't even come from himself, but was a a gift from God Most High, Jesus looks at him and says to him, Simon, I tell you that now your name is Peter. And you may know that name Peter literally means rock. Unsteady Simon, I say that you are rock steady. Really? Like I just imagine all the disciples being like, are we sure? Does he know the etymology of that name actually? Jesus does, because Jesus is the son of the living God, and what he says goes. The $5 theological term for this is imputation. He affects and creates his own reality by the power of his word. What Jesus says is, is. And why does that matter for you and me? It matters because of this. Because Jesus is who we say he is, you are who he says you are. Because Jesus is who we say he is, you are who he says you are. We can hear the voices of the world and of the accuser, Satan, and of our own sinful flesh speaking to us and telling us that we are so many other things, that we are unworthy and unlovable, that we are failures and sinners all the way down, that we are hopeless, that we are trash. You can hear all of these different voices, but Christ Jesus looks at you and me, the son of the living God, and he says, no, no, you are worthy. You are chosen. You are my friend. You're my child. You are my beloved. That's who he says you are. And because Jesus is who we say he is, you are who he says you are. You don't have to listen to all of those other voices and all of those other names. Christ is the one who has the power to give you your right name. Amen? Amen. Because he is who who we say he is. You are who he says you are. Who he says you are. That's the truth. And that's the period at the end of the sentence. We need to listen to what the world says with discernment. Who are they saying that Jesus is? 
Because there's some truth to that. We can take it. But at the end of the day, it's unsteady Simon, now rock-steady Peter, who nails it. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because he is who we say he is, you are who he says you are. Come what may, though the gates of Hades come at you and me with all of their many and various names, they will not prevail against us. They will not prevail against you because you are claimed by him. Amen. And may the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.